Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name is Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from Ample Entertainment's Ari Mark, the content group's Jodie Flynn and Cream Productions' Kate Harrison about how the commissioning freeze at Warner Brothers Discovery is impacting factual producers. And from Plimpsoul Productions' Grant Mansfield, Painless Productions' Jim Casey and former Lion Television US exec Tony Tackerberry on producing for streamers versus linear networks. The ramifications of the merger of Warner Media and Discovery has been one of the major storylines of the past year, with factual producers scrambling to understand what it will mean for their businesses. Decisions on unscripted commissions have been halted, according to a number of producers who spoke to C21, as the new leadership team takes the reins at Warner Brothers Discovery, which officially formed in early April. Ample Entertainment co-founder Ari Mark the content group president Jody Flynn and Cream Productions president Kate Harrison spoke to Jordan Pinto at the Real Screen Summit in California about how the commissioning freeze is impacting producers and where they go from here. Separately, Painless Productions principal Jim Casey and former Lion Television US head Tony Tackerbury spoke to Jordan at the event about the evolving role of unscripted producers, the latter's new company Station 6 Productions and selling to streamers versus linear networks. First, here's Ari Mark, Jodie Flynn and Kate Harrison. Okay, let's just uh, set the table here. Um, maybe, Kate, I'll start with you. If you could just um, yeah, just tell us quickly a bit about Cream Productions and um, where you guys, what are you working on at the moment? Um, okay, so Cream, we're based in Toronto, Canada, and um, we do sort of a wide breadth of programming. Right now, we've got a really great relationship with the Travel Channel and Discovery Plus. We have four shows that we're doing with them in a, with Eli Roth as an executive producer, which has been a nice space for us to work in. And we also do a lot of things in the sort of land of pop culture and sort of big history recreations type stuff. Um, Jody. Hi, uh, I am the president of Content Group, which is an LA-based production company, which is actually kind of the this, this reincarnation of uh, Asylum Entertainment. Um, so we've been around for about three years as the Content Group, and we do a wide variety, like cream, of of uh, content from uh, follow docs with celebrities like with Shaquille O'Neal on TNT to a multiple show, which is going into its fourth season on TLC. Uh, one of our uh, JVs is doing, which we're super excited about, and it, uh, as well as um, the bright and shiny limiteds that we all love to do for the streamers like D Plus and Peacock. We're super proud of one of them that just aired and did tremendously well for D Plus called Hillsong from one of our one of our joint ventures. So we do a wide breadth of of content and just like to tell great stories. Fabulous. And Ari. Hi. Um, Ari Mark. We are a full scale production services company. Uh, we're pretty we're pretty genre agnostic. So you know I think. We try to really just maintain quality across the board, but we are in lifestyle space with our Queen of Versailles series. We're in the crime space with Murder in the Heartland going to season five. Um, and we also do a lot of the premium doc stuff and even direct a couple like our recent um, HBO series, The Invisible Pilot. Okay, so we're about two days through real screen at the moment, um, well, depending on when people arrived. Um, Maybe I'll start with you for, the, for this one, Ari. Um, any, any takeaways that you've had so far um, being back in the room and from you know, the conversations you've been having? No, it's beautiful here. <laughs> um, happy to be here. I mean, I think everybody's just feeling the same way, which is, you know, we're out, we're seeing people again in person. Um, 
I don't know. I think the energy feels really good here. I don't know what you guys think, but it seems as though, um, you know, we're just relieved to not be on Zoom. Um, so, yeah, I mean, things feel, other than the Warner Discovery question mark, you know, things feel pretty pretty solid. That was um, a lead for you. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, yeah, and I will be returning okay. to it. Um, um, yeah, Jody and Kate, uh, any takeaways? I think it's so frenzied that it, it did before COVID in a good way. I think there's a, a little bit of a calmness that just comes with everyone having been separated for so long. And I think people are just excited, like you were saying, already to see each other and get out and actually have conversations in person. And so it feels a little like, you know, a reunion. Okay. I think I'm sort of in agreement right across the board. The other thing I think... It, certainly for, as a Canadian coming down is you actually get to have conversations on a little bit more of a social level so you feel more connected to the people you've been working with. Zoom is such a time box of this is the information and the conversation we have to have and then you you know you forget to, that you actually are human beings who are trying to make these shows together and work with networks and other producers. But I think even just that in and of itself is just important as part of the creative process. <laughs> um, those brainstorm sessions and conversations sometimes are the most important conversations you have at a place like this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm getting the sense that people are seeing this as more like a kind of re- reconnecting with one another and then maybe MIPCOM is going to be when the like the hard hard pitching b- b- begins again. Is Am I, am, I, am I getting that right? Maybe I think, not. I think we're pitching all the time now. Yeah. Like, I think that actually has shifted because of Zoom. And to your point about the time in a box, right? Like, everyone's so back-to-back. It's like you have a half hour, half hour, half hour. There's no bleeding over. If someone's two minutes late, it's like, where are they? You know, <laughs> yeah. but it used to be like if you were 10 minutes late, it's LA traffic or Toronto yeah. traffic. Yeah. Um, I, th- I feel like we're just pitching all the time now, I, although I'm sure there's always a pitch, at, a, a, a push at MIP. But I feel like it's really around the clock at this point. I think so, too. And I think what uh, my personal belief is these conferences will be about those social connections because I think the doors are so wide open for pitching type conversations all the time um, there isn't the cycle it doesn't feel like there's cycles like there used to be where everybody's buying in November and everybody right. you know the new stuff I think it's the conversations are so in a strange way you feel more connected to these people because you have been looking at them and not talking on the phone and only meeting them you know I know what people look like better now than I did I don't know how tall anybody is, <laughs> but other than that, I think that you're, we're more connected in a weird way because of COVID from a pitching perspective. One of the things I've not really heard people talk about from the stage yet is um, is some of the potential impacts of some of the consolidation we're seeing in the space, um, namely and most pertinently for the unscripted sector being the Warner Brothers, uh, Warner Brothers Discovery merger. Um, yeah, I'd be interested to get your guys' thoughts on any... I know we're still early days in all of this and there's still so much influx, but, um, yeah, any early thoughts on what some of the ramifications could be uh, in the future and maybe what some of the questions that you have are going forward? I mean, it's interesting from a Canadian perspective because our broadcasters have a level of consolidation already. I mean, there's ultimately you know, three or four big behemoths to sell to. Um, I, I think looking south of the border, it feels like the networks or the streams or silos will still probably stay siloed. We'll still, you'll be selling to travel and travel will be that group of people and HBO will be that group of people. So I think it's really, the confusion may end up in back office as opposed to in buying down the road. Um, they don't, other than, you know, true crime is really the only one that I can think of that really is across a lot of those internal networks. But that's just, you know, maybe that's an optimistic belief, but it feels like it's such a Canadian way of doing things, I'm sort of used to the grand consolidations. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, one of the things I think will be interesting to see how it evolves is how 
strict the lanes become for all the brands. I mean, Discovery certainly has a history of being very brand dedicated. Each, you know, each of the networks doing kind of very bespoke programming that speaks to their audience. And we'll be curious to see if, if that kind of stays as they integrate, you know, TNT, TBS, HBO, HBO Max, and kind of what those identities evolve into, because I'm sure they will change a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as people that are the pitch, pitching these networks, do you prefer when everything is in very segregated lanes that's very clear, or do you always do you always prefer when there's slightly a blur between them because maybe yeah. an idea can find a new lane? I mean, I'd rather them stay fairly segregated, to be honest, just because one, you know, we have relationships with a lot of these people who are great execs who we want to continue to pitch to and have them keep their jobs. Um, I think the other piece of it is that there are specialty areas where I think certain execs just have deep knowledge and experience, say in like crime, for example. Um, even within that, there's nuances within that genre, and there's different ways of producing different types of content. So hopefully, so I think for us as sellers, it would be nice to have you know those streams stay. Unfortunately, I, I don't personally think. I'm sure I'm wrong, but I, I just I just don't see why you would keep that many streams. I think you would. It's more likely that they would consolidate those buyers um, by platform. So I think you're all buying for one platform and you're all buying for another platform. That's my guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's hard to imagine what that looks like. And I think you pointed it out too. I think us as sellers need to also you know, be, have, be a little bit patient and realize that the people we're selling to are in this sort of chaotic yeah. space and you know, they haven't got any more control than we do. So yeah. I think... You know, making sure that we all understand, you know, we're in it together and we need to have their backs the yeah. same way they, for years, have had ours. Yeah. So yeah. that's an important piece of the puzzle right now. Yeah, I just, there's already so much overlap with so many of these brands, um, especially in what they're looking looking for or what they think they're looking for, that it just, if you're trying to cut, you know, several billion dollars out of a company, my guess is it's pretty sweeping, mm-hmm. you know. Um, has there been a bit of a lull in development or on decision-making processes? And yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Things are sitting. They're yeah. Sitting. Um, I, don't even, I don't know that I'd call it a lull. It is, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Ground to a halt. Mm-hmm. It's frozen and waiting. I have yeah. several things that yeah, are completely just waiting. Yeah. How, how long have we been in this uh, this frozen state? A couple months. A couple yeah. months. Six, eight weeks. Yeah. yeah. So when you say this is like the beginning, for us it's not the beginning. This has been several months of... Can somebody tell me what's going on? And there are projects yeah. that we were working on. Yeah. I'm going to speak. Feel yeah. free to disagree, but yeah. projects we've been working on on this side for a really long time, and you get you've got them to the place where you're like, oh, yeah. they're just about to go, exactly. and then it's like everything's and then they don't. and everything could change. Like when they come out on the other side, is it is is that project that they love that you've been working yeah. on with them for a year? Is it still going to fit what the mandate is for the yeah. network it was purchased for? So it's you know it's a it's yeah. a well, and then they end up tenuous. with the CNN Plus. Like we had a right. show with CNN yeah. Plus that was canceled last week we were already making sorry to hear that Um, but you know it is what it is you know you're sort of waiting for the shoe to drop Mm -hmm. Um, you're at the point sometimes where you want them to either say yes or no so that you can take it somewhere else yeah a lot of these shows are time sensitive and if they're non-fiction you know then presumably they're real and if they're real that means you're dealing with real life real schedules real people so there's all these factors we can't control so it's not like those shows will necessarily be turnkey when they decide them to be turnkey you know what I mean yeah. They um, may not be the same shows at that right, point. Right, exactly. Totally. Yeah. Have you, as unscripted or you know, all veteran unscripted producers, have you guys been through a, a kind of frozen a state of where the development process is frozen like this yeah. in the past? Yeah, but not to this. I mean, I don't think 
this far-reaching. I mean, you guys... Uh, no, I agree. Yeah. I mean, this is a big group. I mean, we, you know, lots of our business is in the Discovery and Warner separately yeah. before this happened. Right. So, yeah. you know, this is, I think, a blanket frozen. Yeah. Like there, which I think on some level is easier to understand when they just say it loud. Yeah. But we're just going to slow down right. as opposed to the pretending. And, you know, again, it's the realization that the people that are working on these shows with us are waiting too yeah um so and remember that like yes we've been through these periods before you know but there was a time when all these networks were totally autonomous right so even if they were under certain banners or certain ownership we didn't feel the ownership or the hand of the ownership right so it was like okay you know sell to tnt you know you sell to HBO, they really have nothing to do with each other, right? These, these, most of these networks. Mm-hmm. Same thing goes for Discovery brands. They were pretty autonomous. And then they went through this kind of Discovery Plus thing that threw everything up in the air, which was like almost like a mini chaos. And now it's like it the full Well, yeah. it's been hard to revamp. You know, they did scripts, like scripts and Discovery yeah. was a yeah. minute, oh, and right. that was a minute. But it um, felt like a minute, But right? it this felt feels like a like minute. This feels, this feels right. Well, and it's because there's, you know, for years. Half the buyers yes. basically yes. are tied up in this <laughs> space, yeah. which could eventually be a really good thing, but right this second it's mm-hmm. just a frozen thing. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe a very uh, obvious question or yeah, a question that answers itself, but how much of a problem is this when you're trying to run, run a, a business and get new projects off the ground? Yeah, I think for me it's, uh, you know, and I've always believed this, but sometimes there are moments where, you, you know, you get it over the head with something you already know and you double down on it is just the diversification of your portfolio as best that you can you know it's hard to you know you build relationships and sometimes you end up with several shows at one place which is great like everyone wants that but you also go like ah if something happens at that place what happens if I don't have stuff at other places and so I think with for us definitely with the proliferation of some of the other buyers with we're working with Hulu and Roku and, and some different places at least trying to get in with those new buyers um, that are still somewhat independent not totally independent we all know they're all kind of the, the ownership up here can be very, you know, um, incestuous, but, you know, just different places and trying to work across the board. Yeah. We did that three years ago and we diversified because we had too much in the Discovery mm-hmm. family, so we developed this really great relationship with CNN that we do lots of stuff and now they're all the same people. So you can, you know, try, <laughs> to, try as you will. <laughs> but it was actually an active decision to diversify right. into mm-hmm. the CNN, HBO world, um, mm-hmm. and now yeah. they're all the same people. I mean, we're in a pretty lucky, we've got actually the majority of, a big chunk of business with the Discovery family through Travel and Discovery Plus and ID right now that happened and got closed right before this all happened. So we just, um, but a bunch of the rest of it's just sort of sitting and waiting. Mm-hmm. And it's trying to make sure that we can be as patient as possible and still run a business. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, could you, are you able to tell us about the CNN Plus show and what, what happens to that um, now that that service has folded? Um, I don't know. Well, exactly what happens. Um, they've been really, I mean, they canceled it. Um, they, from a business affairs perspective, have been as reasonable, I think, as they can possibly be. We're not there yet. Um, but I think they're going to make it as easy as possible for us to sort of take it somewhere else. Um, so I have to at least give them kudos on that, that it's not just it's gone and we're shelving it and you guys can't move on. So I think they're, you know, they're going to pay the money that they need to pay to close it up properly, make it easier for us, and I think they're going to allow us to see if we can find another home. Mm-hmm. Uh, could be worse. That's yeah, really what I'm saying. Could yeah. be worse. Um, I, I could talk about this topic, or I could listen to you guys talking about this topic all day. But I know you guys have got busy days. But uh, before we just move on, um, any any other kind of aspects of it that you think are kind of worth mentioning, or that you've heard producers either talking about or expressing um, questions or concerns about? 
I mean, the only thing I'll add is, and you guys have been doing it for a very long time, you know, also, and it's, it's, you sort of get into this sort of behavior where you're used to pivoting all the time. So, you know, it feels like no matter what is thrown at producers in this particular slice of the business, meaning unscripted, it feels like the folks are sort of creative enough and sort of weathered enough to be like, okay, okay, we'll just go over here now and then we'll go back over there and then we'll move over here because you kind of don't have a choice and it's sort of the nature of what what we do, right? It's just reinvent, 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 so... Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a little annoying to have to to have to constantly feel like you're shifting, you know, and you're talking to somebody new inside that person, and especially with these shows, as we mentioned, that they are time sensitive, so it's hard. But you know, you figure it out. You know. um, looking ahead to the rest of the year, um, what do you guys, you know, any strategic objectives or things that you are working on that you hope to be, uh, you know, yeah, we'll start with you, Kate. I think it's diversification, it's, but I think it's always diversification. It's, you know, the industry continues to evolve and change, so I think we just have to be as diversified as possible. What other business strategies? And I really am a big believer that we're all, you know, this industry is a group of people working together as opposed to competing with each other, and you start having those conversations, and I think we can all help each other get through to the next phase. We've sort of evolved as a group somehow, and we all sort of bob and weave all of the time so that's my takeaway would be probably that you know we'll continue to do that and the more transparent and we can help each other the better because at the end of the day we all got to pay mortgages yes. exactly we do for sure. and take care of the people you know we've been in covid for two work years for us. Yeah. we actually make the shows yeah and i think that diversification also um can expand beyond these traditional buyers. You know, everyone wants to do content now. Every company out there wants to, you know, have their shorts or they want to fund docs for some reason. Like, there's a lot of places that are funding content. We're doing a couple of documentaries for, you know, a totally outside-the-box, you know, provide, you know, financier who has nothing to do with television, um, which is great. You know, it's a different, you know, and, and we're kind of navigating that too. Like, where's it going to get placed afterwards and how do we do this? But I think finding those additional revenue streams outside of the traditional buyers can also be super helpful and I know is definitely a priority for us. Mm-hmm. Are you actively having to look for people, do you find, or are people from outside the business kind of looking, looking it's to a com- get involved? It's definitely a combination, but I think as, you know, companies that want to do branding, you know, it all really started, well, a lot of it started, you know, Yeti did it so well, American Express, North Face, you know, the really big companies did these these pieces that went viral and people liked them, and, you know, I think even smaller companies are starting to see the value of creating content that isn't, you know, it doesn't have to be a commercial, but someone's watching it and their product's in it, or it just inspires someone to want their product. Like, I think there's a lot of different avenues for that, so I think they are, learn- I think a lot of that went through marketing departments at first, and now they're learning that they need to come to actual creatives. Um, Ari, any, anything uh, coming up for the rest of the year that you would like to uh, tell us about? Uh, <laughs> I have no slate, the and there's nothing. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, my, our big thing is, you know, sort of what Jody said, which is, yes, you know, we develop series, and we want ongoing series, and we want hit series, and we're going to push series, series, series. But at the same time, you know, we have to, you know, we're not in Canada, right? So we have to continue to find ways to shake up this business model because it's not a beneficial business model for producers. Right. So we kind of are, are ga- we're kind of gambling on ourselves even more. Mm-hmm. So it's like we are we are financing documentaries and we are shooting things on our own without networks involved and we are taking risks on short form and we are right we're doing these types of things and you know uh, 
the feeling is is that we know the content will be good. The question is, can we find a model for it? You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, th- this is a model that kind of exists because in Canada, people talk about it a lot as well. Um, you know, producers trying to find ways that exist outside the yeah. kind of broadcaster commissioning model, and it's, it's obviously very different Canada, Canada to the U.S. But it, it, that is what you're talking about. Well, we just have to find ways as Americans of working with the international arena. We can't just put our heads down and be like America, America, America. It's, I mean, it's pretty obvious that content is traveling pretty damn well over here. Like people are watching foreign content now a lot. So. They'll, even, they'll even watch subtitles, which yeah. they didn't used they to. Used Americans to never would watch yeah. subtitles. And now that, That's I think right. everyone just got through everything the first year of COVID, and it was like, okay, now what am I going to watch? And they started watching Call My Agent and Le Pen, and they're like, oh, about us. Squid Game. Yeah, Squid yes. Game. But, yeah. And, and it, they, now that those shows can be hits here, which yeah. is totally new for us. So we have to open our eyes a bit, you know? I think it's, and, the, and there's a real opportunity in a distribution factor. It's really coming up with financial models that are more, you know, whether it's co-production or distribution-led pre-sales, um, pre-sales because I think the networks also need things to be a little cheaper um, yeah. and a little bit easier so that they're not risking it all all by themselves yeah. all the time. Final one for me, I promise, um, just yeah. on the on the topic of uh, foreign language content. Um, obviously, we've seen that a lot in the scripted side, but is that starting to, or kind of, you know, the appetite or the, the willingness to watch subtitled shows, is it bleeding over at all into unscripted? I mean, it's a little different because the the world that exists here, whether it be, you know, let's say it's an AccuSoap and there's a, it's a job that we have in America, might not translate exactly to something abroad, right? Mm-hmm. So it's always a question of, it's a case-by-case basis, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think it's interesting, and it's a show I have not watched it, but I intend to. I know, but I know, I believe is doing well, is The Real Housewives of Dubai, which is interesting. <laughs> yeah. That's a really big leap yeah, for a reality a show mm-hmm. like that. And, you know, I don't know if it, I don't think any of it's left I'm not, I'm not really sure. But it is a reality show that is so American mm-hmm. that is now being done in a very mm-hmm. wonderful city that is, you know, a, a, you know very aspirational. And I, I think it's really interesting that they took that leap, and yeah. it seems to be working for them. So to your point, I think it may bleed over. I don't know that it really, really has yet, but it may start to. Well, and I think it's what it is is it's actually the opportunity of the international producers coming in to the American market as opposed to the other way around. Um, you know, it's trying to see beyond the American borders, and I think the broadcasters. Uh, and the networks, you know, even in this Warner and Discovery thing, Discovery Plus, HBO Max, I mean, the streamers are the business model um, in many cases, and those are not geo-blocked anymore. Right. So, right. you know, you're trying to get somebody to watch television in Germany that four years ago you were you were hoping a distributor yeah. could sell it to them. Mm-hmm. Now you're actually, it's part of how they decide on season two. Harry Mark. Jodie Flynn and Kate Harrison speaking with Jordan Pinto. Here's Jim Casey and Tony Tackerberry. Maybe I'll start with you, Jim, if you could just uh, give us a a brief intro about the company and maybe some of the projects you have on the go at the moment. I started Painless about 25 years ago. Um, We are predominantly unscripted, although we have delved into a little bit of scripted over the years. Um, Shows right now that we have going on is uh, we're in our 15th season of The Dead Files, uh, which is a paranormal show. We're in our fifth season of, um, of a true crime show called Reasonable Doubt. Uh, and then we've got shows over at Nat Geo. We're kind of all over the map. We're a very eclectic company. We have uh, kind of short attention spans, so there's a lot of different subject matter that we love. Fantastic. And same question for you, Tony, as you were about to take a sip of your drink. Uh, so, uh, 
Uh, so I started uh, Station 6 not 25 years ago, 25 days ago. <laughs> That's what it feels like. Uh, and it's, it's a production company that uh, is going to focus on the things I've always done, the areas that I've always done and had success selling and producing in, and so that's a lot of true crime. Uh, it's formats. Formats is kind of where I began in TV. It's always been a huge part of uh, the slates at Lion and hopefully will be at uh, Station 6. And then I think one of the things I'm trying to do a little better than I did at Lion is, is get more into the premium space, and I've got a few projects partnering with certain people just to elevate the sort of the pitch to the right people uh, that I think uh, should go in, in the whole premium dock area. Fantastic. Um, this is quite, maybe quite a broad one, um, but even in terms of you know, being back in the room with everyone, are, are, there any, are there any takeaways that you've had so far? It's, it's a bit of a uh, contrasting situation, isn't it? You've got incredible upheaval going on. You've got Warner Brothers Discovery you've got Netflix, you've got all of that going on over here, and, and, and that's kind of a little bit in a negative space. But I think over here, there's a lot of people here, and I've spoken to some, and I've seen some on the stage who really want to buy a lot of non-fiction content. And so I'm feeling kind of positive and, dare I say, a little bullish. Yeah, same thing. I, I've heard quite a few people say we are aggressively looking, we're yeah. aggressively buying. I mean, that's a word we always want to hear. Um, the, I think the weird thing about this event so far for me is there are people I've sold shows to and I've never seen them in three-dimensional space. Yeah. Like, seriously, they're flat face yeah. on the screen, on the Zoom screen, and it's, so, it's like, wow, you're taller than I thought you were. You're, you know, you don't usually say you're shorter than I thought you were, but it, it's just <laughs> been, it's been really strange. But what I have always said since the beginning of this, when people say, I think this is going to be the new way things go, I say, God, I hope not. Because we're in a, you know, this is a business where we're creative people. We thrive in gregarious situations. So I'm hoping that what this does is get people to realize, yeah, we are better when we're in each other's company and there's that energy and that chemistry that you do not get on a pre-planned Zoom call. So that's what I think it's, it's helping people recognize. I've got to say that I met, met someone that I had been working with for two and a half years, never met them in person, did, met them two hours ago, the first thing I said to them, you're much taller than I thought you would be. <laughs> Might have been the same guy, because <laughs> yeah, I said that to a guy too. It's like, wow, tall, I thought you were about my height, I just assumed that. But, but what, you know, I think that's absolutely right, and I think we are, this just reinforces the fact that, you know, we work better in these kind of interpersonal, human, dynamic kind of areas. But at the same time, I think the whole Zoom thing has got a role to play, and I think it can help in all sorts of ways to make the process a little better, a little smoother, please God, a little faster. Um, but I think, yeah, this is, you're right, just coming back and, and seeing everyone, it's like, oh yeah, there's yeah. a reason we do this. Yeah, it's a great tool, I just hope it doesn't become the permanent standard. 100%. Mm -hmm. um, if we cast our minds back to the last time the Real Screen Summit was in person, that was just prior to the pandemic. Um, and I think there's definitely been kind of an acceleration of um, uptake of streaming services, and that, has, that was certainly the talk in some of the, um, some of the panels this morning. Um, I'd just be wondering, when you're putting together your slates at the moment, um, are you looking both to sell, like, is, would you call it a 50-50 split in terms of um, developing for streamers versus developing for linear networks? Um, is anything in flux there? I mean, I, yeah, I don't, I'm not really thinking of it in those terms. I think in the areas, the genres that I'm playing in, you know, formats, true crime, there are 
particularly with formats, I think everyone is first of all looking for a big noisy show, whatever, whether it's dating or competition or house. And so I think we're a little more focused on the idea and developing that. And, and then, as you say, everyone's aggressively looking for content. And yes, it doesn't have to be skinned a certain way, depending on who you're pitching. But the fundamental idea is you're back to a time, I think, where you can take one concept, as long as it has that heft and substance, and take it to a bunch of different places, be it linear or streamers. I was in the streaming session earlier today, and it was Tubi and um, Roku and D+. And freebie, and I'm just—they're all—they were all saying the same broad things in slightly different ways, and you have to respect that nuance. But I think that says to me, you know, the, the, the thirst is there, as you said earlier. But also, I think the content can go to all sorts of different places. If that answers your question. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. I mean, I, I think what you do is you develop great shows, right, yeah. and then you decide where they fit best. And a lot of times with a streamer, it's oh, that's your art version of the show, and then with your linear, that's the you know that's a standalone yeah. and I think that's usually the way we end up developing I actually have a, a question for you Tony as far as could, because you're so involved <laughs> where'd you get those glasses because <laughs> the, the, the crime world I mean look I what I the same height as well yeah you know what yeah I absolutely, no I'm going to go the same height yeah. I think that but I've never even seen you, you just when I said that exactly yeah, yeah. Just, I'm kind of um, I think that what I always say to people what's changed so much is We've gone from kind of producers to marketing people because in the streaming world, what is most important is building subscribers. They don't care about the show that goes for 20 seasons, the way a linear, the way it's so important to linear. So in the crime world, you know, do you find it difficult to keep feeding that beast of, I gotta find the next amazing crime, the next amazing murder to build a six or eight episode order? I mean, it's so interesting. That's a great question. And, and the short answer is, yeah. I mean, that is actually part of the, the skill, if you want, or experience that you need to sell and make true crime is perseverance and, and a sort of a willingness just to keep looking and keep looking and keep pushing. I will say, and I mean, this is not, this is not a happy note, but I'll say it. Unfortunately, the supply of stories is fairly well refreshed in America. Yeah. That's, that's an unfortunate sort of reality of where we are. But even, you know, even in that situation, there are so many production companies, so many producers, so many networks all going after the same thing that it, it's, it's A, can you find that new story? Or B, can you slice the sort of genre up mm-hmm. in such a way that you sort of reframe stories that you read? And it, that, that in itself, I think, is, it requires a certain amount of creativity. And, and, and as I said, you've got to persevere. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's quite easy to sort of, yeah. oh, Jesus, I can't keep looking. And I would have guessed the, the, the kind of crimes that have been so common recently are not exactly the kind of crimes that are no. make interesting stories. No. No. There's no twists and turns. There's no, no mystery. It's, it's just some yeah. crazy person. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, it's not. Um, on that theme of you know uh, shows that run for multiple seasons, you know, 18, 19, 20 seasons, do you think the streaming services are missing a trick at all, especially as they kind of are starting to have churn issues and kind of stalling subscriber growth? Do you think... You know, is, is there a world where they start because I, I think it's fair to say that they don't typically commission unscripted shows for past the fourth or the fifth season at the, at, at the most 
it's a that's a great question. It's such a good question that I don't even know if I'm qualified to answer it. I, I think that there are people who are much smarter who are studying the analytical data that I just don't, you know, it's just not my thing. Uh, I make TV shows, but I think that I think that we're in a world right now where we don't have much time to give something a chance. What we always draw on is look at Seinfeld. Seinfeld never would have made it if they didn't, if someone didn't believe in it and say, let's give it a second season. Same with Duck Dynasty. Did not do huge numbers in its first season. So I think that there might be, I think there may be a lot of truth to that. In the in the streaming world, there might be an opportunity that they're just Everything moves so fast. There's so many streamers. There's so everyone fighting over over subscriptions that, you know, maybe, and we know now that there is a saturation point, so maybe there is another way to skin the cat, and, and letting shows go multiple seasons, you know, is a way to go. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. I think, I do think we're in a, we're entering or yeah just about to enter a, a second phase if you like in, in the way that streamers are programming I think you said it right I think they've been thinking about it from a marketing point of view is how do we get big splashy noisy breakthrough shows that get the subscribers and I think now they're at the point where they're having you know we know they're have, rethinking their business and trying to figure out you know what's the next step how do we do it on the, the subscribers are down do we go down the advertising route and I think um, and, and then on top of that, people, you know, network groups, studio groups are taking back their library from some of these streamers, so they don't have the volume of content that they want. So how do you solve that problem? Well, one way to do that would be the traditional model of trying to get a series that runs and runs and runs. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if you do see that shift. Um, <laughs> if, if, if you're not already, it, it depends where you are, where these places are, I think, in their evolution. I think Netflix, I think for sure, is going to start thinking about that kind of stuff. But some of the other places, they're a little newer, still trying to get that, get up to that certain tier level in terms of subscriptions. They're still going to be noisy, and, and it's, it's a bit more about the marketing. But just from a, just from an economics model, if you don't have to keep reinventing the wheel and have a series that just goes and goes and goes, and for, it, we know it's great for, as producers. It's got to. It's got to have some economic upside for the studios as well. I, I, you know what? I think that brings up a really good point that I hadn't really thought about. Because if you produce a great series for uh, a streamer and you're putting your heart and soul into it and making something great for them, if you can't sustain yourself, the the streamer has to have a vested interest in the success of your company because you're giving them great programming. So they also have to figure that a little bit into their business model. Um, one thing I've been asking producers, when you see that, um, I think we're going through like a, an industry phase of, of belt type tightening at the moment, um, you, you know, you hear stories about Netflix, um, you know, layoffs and certainly um, some kind of cost-cutting measures across the company. Do you think, when you, when you hear that piece of information, do you think the, the cuts would come unscripted and that they would move more toward... Uh, kind of, would there be more unscripted because it's slightly more cost of, cost effective? I hope so. Or do you think? I, yeah, that, that's what I would have thought. That would have been my gut instinct. But I was chatting to a producer earlier on who said they thought um, Netflix might do less unscripted and just put all their eggs yeah. in the scripted basket. Yeah, I've Sorry. heard that as well. It seems to me it would be a smart thing. You know, if you're if you're if you're losing subscribers, you want to think about what you're doing and, and come up with a slightly different plan. And so, so yeah, maybe, I guess technically doing less non-fiction and, and, and 
maybe focusing more on the quality and consistency of your fiction is 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 a change. Uh, but I, you know, look, I think if you look through history, the best most successful broadcasters or platforms or whatever you want to call them have had a range of content, non-fiction, fiction from the BBC to HBO. You know, these, were, these guys have been doing it for a long time. They've been doing it at the top level. I think you, you need that balance. Whether they go more or less into it, yeah, who, who knows? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? I, actually, I do have a question about that. They, have they kind of cracked the code yet on why they're losing their subscribers? Is it because... Because I think that's going to determine a lot of what direction they go. Has it been because they're finding that people are sharing or that people are just deciding, I'm going to go to HBO Max instead of Netflix? I don't know. Have they figured that out yet? I think they said it was this con- confluence of factors, but two of them you just, you just mentioned. Um, yeah, and those being the big ones, the, the password sharing and the competition. Um, let's move on to the, the, the rest of the year. Um, Jim, maybe you could give us a, you know, some, without telling us all the projects mm-hmm. that you aren't allowed to tell us about yet, um, what are some of, the, uh, some of the goals or hopes for the remainder of the year? You know, right now it's, here's, here's the, the, the weirdest thing about this year, and Tony, maybe you're feeling it too. The world is opening back up but our industry is still playing by 2020 rules. Sure. If somebody gets sick, so, so you've got crews and staff that are going out and having drinks and going to dinner, and but if they bring COVID to the set, you got to not necessarily shut down the set, but you certainly have to pause it. So to me, it's trying to figure out that balance because people are like, we don't have to wear masks anymore. It's like, yeah, but, I mean, we went two years without a single infection on set. And we did, and we produced about 70 hours of programming. That came to a stop a couple of weeks ago. Because, because all of a sudden, it's yeah. like everyone's out, they're going to dinner, they're doing... Well, they're not getting it on set. They're getting it outside and bringing it to set. But we can only do so much. We can't control, we can't lock people in their hotel rooms. So that, to me, is the trickiest part right now, is managing that creatively, which I think is what you were intending with your question, is is to just keep growing in in new ways. I mean, look, what I, the reason I got into this industry is I just make it, like making stuff. I like making cool shows. I like telling cool stories. So that's the way I kind of gauge it. You know, my financial advisor says, where are you going to be next year? And I say, I have no idea. I'm just going to keep doing what I do. I'm going to keep making cool shows. I'm going to keep hiring the right people as best I can and keep making stuff. So, but we kind of want to, there's some new areas that we're branching out into, into survival and into some other areas that I think are going to be really fun. And, uh, and that's what it's all about for me is like, keep having a good time. You know, and because I think that will show on the work. Tony, the rest of the year for you? Well, I think I need to get a financial advisor. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's my big takeaway from this podcast. Um, uh, look, we, we have already a slate of really exciting uh, true crime shows. We've got two or three formats that um, in very different, some quite, one quite hard and, and sort of you know, really quite defined, and another softer, looser, more docu, um, and in a real variety of spaces, and, and a few hybrid spaces, sort of an, an influencer in in a sort of historical, artifactual kind of space that 
you wouldn't necessarily associate together, but actually it's kind of cool and exciting. And then on top of that, as I said, a couple of premium dogs. And, and so that's a huge part of my focus is it's a nascent company. We've barely, you know, we, we've been around just literally for a couple of months. And so I think the, the focus is, is on, on building that slate and, and getting that content out there and, and, and making sales. And, and I think to your point about the shooting I, yeah I mean look I think it's we're still we're still there's still a learning going on there's still a like well how you know when do we pull back and, and I don't know no one has the answers I think no. you just do the best that you can yeah. and you make decisions on a day by day basis and try and figure it out and Look, I think this is a great market line in the sand in some respects. You know, you know, it's again, it's another step in the direction of going back to normal, and mm-hmm. I think that's that's what we're all we're all striving for. And, and wouldn't it be great if we can achieve that this year? Jim Casey and Tony Tackerberry. UK-based premium unscripted producer Plimsoll Productions is behind titles including Apple TV Plus's Tiny World, Netflix's Night on Earth and National Geographic's Hostile Planet. The company currently has 20 shows in production for a variety of broadcasters and streamers and founder and chief executive Grant Mansfield spoke to Jordan Pinto about how the lines between the two are blurring as the latter look to do more live programming. Mansfield also talked about why, despite budgets being squeezed and Netflix subscriber numbers stalling, he remains positive about Unscripted, while Plimsoll is also making moves into factual drama. Just prior to us hitting record here, you said you you wanted to talk about politics, but I am unfortunately going to have to ask some TV questions today. yeah, so maybe let's start start with a bit of uh, talk about uh, what, what Plimsoll has on, has on the go at the moment, if you could kind of, uh, yeah, just bring us up to speed. Sure thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, we we've got a we've got a, we're, we've got a lot of work on. We've got we've got twenty plus series in 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 production for you know pretty much uh, I think all the the major buys in the UK and the US market. We're doing a mixture of free to air broadcast, uh, cable, S four platforms, and we 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 we've got work right across the um, the unscripted space. I mean, obviously we are now the biggest independent natural history studio in the world, but uh, we're making a whole bunch of other premium popular factors. I mean, specifically, I think this has already been announced, we're about to go to Greenland with Alex Free Solo Honnold to do uh, a show for, for Disney+. Plus. So yeah, it's a busy it's a busy old summer for us. Um, could you talk a bit about some of your main takeaways from some of the things we met, we might have heard this morning? I, I know you've kind of been between panels and, and meetings and doing a lot of running around. So, if, if there, if there, yeah, I, I've I've sat on a panel and I've only been here a few hours. I mean, listen, I, I think there's 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 I think there's a general view of optimism. I mean, obviously there's 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 much talk about you know squeezing of budgets and there's there's a lot of consolidation going on in the in the sector. Um, which uh, may may involve some delaying of decisions, but I, I think in in general terms, I think there's a lot of positivity, and I think there should be. I, I think you know this is a very uh, positive, uh, exciting time for unscripted uh, the unscripted market. I mean, we've had some independent research done relatively recently, which indicates significant growth in that market over the next five to seven years. With you know the S4s in particular beginning to um, buy more unscripted. So yeah, I think there's 
you know, I think there's some real optimism around the place. Certainly, that, that's what I feel. I feel very optimistic about my business and, and our collective business. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that research you uh, cited there about um, the SVODs uh, um, buying more unscripted content, do you think that is... I, I was chatting to a producer earlier on and we were talking about how Netflix's um, subscribers stalling stall, um, what it would mean, like, will they, like, my initial thought would be that that would mean that they would cut back on scripted and maybe put more into their unscripted business. Someone I was speaking to this morning said they thought they would cut back on unscripted and really double down on scripted. Um, I don't know, what, what, would, what would your take on Well, I'd on sit in thing? the more unscripted camp for obvious reasons. I mean, listen, I think um, there is no doubt that if you get the right unscripted pieces, you get a, a better return on your investment. It's, it's, uh, it's cheaper, so it delivers better value. And I've worked, uh, back in the day, I worked inside a big broadcast network, ITV. I commissioned their unscripted shows. And they were a pretty essential part of of the network being able to afford, you know, their big drama projects. So I think if you're an SVOD platform, you're looking to entice, um, you know, viewers with with, with with something new and exciting on a regular basis. Um, the most cost-effective and, frankly, the quickest way of doing that is by commissioning more unscripted. Um, we heard in the in the first session in the first session today, or some some of the executives on that panel were saying that um, long-running factual franchises are still very much the domain of the linear networks rather than the, the streaming services. Um, would you would you say you agree with that? And do you think we could maybe start to see a change to that in the future? Like, will will the will the big streaming services look to kind of have these eight, nine, ten season uh, running kind of shows? Uh, yeah, listen, that may be the case of it, but it's, it's, it's not as if that's an immutable um, law of nature, is it? I mean, it, it's, it's the way it is at the moment. But, yeah, I think that I'm hearing that increasingly the S-Sports will be looking to have, you know, returning uh, series on their platforms. And there's already a number of series that are beginning to punch through. And I think it's quite interesting that, you know, if, if you hear some of the you know the, the, the titans of this industry people like Reed Hastings talking about their networks they're, they're as likely to quote um, an unscripted hit as a scripted hit these days so I, I think there's a real opportunity to um, to, to win you know returning series on, on those platforms and, and you know my, my understanding is they're, they're going to need that so big opportunity for all of us I think mm-hmm. Um, you were on a panel this morning, the second panel of the day, talking uh, very much about M&A. Um, we see the cycles in M&A activity. I think early in the pandemic, maybe some of the M&A cooled off a bit and it's kind of ramped up again, um, but things are very much in flux. Um, yeah, so I think for some of the mid-sized companies that are looking to make the leap to being large companies, um, either by being acquired themselves or by taking on investors and becoming acquirers um, in turn, um, like, how do you see how do you see the next phase um, in the M and A market kind of evolving for those mid-sized companies that want to take take the leap? Yeah, listen, I think there's a, I, I do think there's a, there's a lot of appetite out there to acquire good content companies, both from if you like the more traditional route, which is trade and private equity. I mean, you may know that we did a, a private equity deal ourselves to take on a minority investor about three years ago and um, I, the, one of the guys I was sat on a, plat, a panel with Richard from um, 
ACF did the deal for us and he said that actually that was the first private equity deal they'd done for a very long time but that seems to have sparked a whole series of, of, of other deals in that area so I, you know I think if you are uh, you, you have a, a particular place in the market you have a reputation for creating premium content there is there is real appetite out there on the part of investors uh, both both in 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 the trade and in private equity i think it's a really fascinating time when you think about what is a streaming service and what is a linear platform like some of the some of the streamers now are starting to imitate um you know they're introducing out-supported models yeah um disney for example is going to be putting um Dancing with the Stars as, as, a, as live on Disney Plus. Netflix is talking about kind of live unscripted as well. Um, I'd be interested to get your kind of thoughts or your um, takeaways from how I don't know. It feels like TV is a bit of a flat circle, and you've got the streamers now kind of starting to imitate what the linear players have, have been doing all along. It's, it's I don't know. It feels like a yeah, fascinating time. Yeah, it feels like yeah. Somebody said to me that it feels like they're turning into TV channels. Um, yes, I, I, I think. Um, you know, there, there is. I, I think, as I said earlier, I think there is a there, there's a constant hunger on the part of viewers for for you know new content and 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 new innovation, and and also I think curation as well. You know, you it's the, the great thing about a returning series is it's something that you can you can find easily. It's interesting what you said about the live thing. Um, we we um, we made a number of live shows for Nat Geo, obviously owned by Disney in the past. Um, and we've started having some conversations with, with some SVOD platforms recently about, about more live shows to, to bring viewers to platforms. So, yeah, I, I, you know, I think uh, that pretty much every genre is, 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 up, is up for grabs. And I think, you know, live on, on uh, some of the SVOD platforms is a really... I mean, obviously, they're already doing sport. But we did big. We did a couple, two or three really big um, live shows for Nat Geo, which worked very well for them. And you know, we think we could um, we could repeat that model on an Xbox platform. And we're already in conversations with with some potential buyers of that. Without kind of giving too much away, is this something you've been hearing from the SVODs recently? Like, is it in the last yeah. six months? Yeah, yeah, I, I, it's it's in the last couple of months actually. Um, you mentioned there you have about 20 series um, in, in production at the moment. Um, how has the company kind of morphed and changed shape in order to be to be able to uh, you know, to handle this level of production? Like, have there, have there been have there been big, big structural changes, or has it been more kind of gra- gradual? Um, I think it's it's always it's been more evolution and revolution. I mean, when I set the company up, it, it was always set up on the basis that we were going to be hopefully a significant sized uh, business, and so. Um, you know, I, I think the way we've gone about building it has always been in the in the hope, not always in the expectation. Obviously, everybody has their setbacks, but in the hope that that we can create something of scale. And I think there's a whole bunch of stuff around that. Um, it, it's in broadly, it's about behaving, I guess, in a sensible commercial way. And for example, not not paying yourself, not paying all the profits away in dividends to to the executives and the company. Something we've never done. But also, we we we've been very focused on trying to create a career path for people in the company. The indie sector tends to be a kind of contract culture. At Pimsel, when we identify good talent, we 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 give them the opportunity to to come on the staff. We've got a lot of staff in the company, and 
we don't worry so much if there's a bit of a downtime between productions and we, we bring people on, we offer them management training. Um, and I think ultimately that's how you build something of scale and permanence. It's quite hard to do it if it's an entirely a freelance culture. So that's not the way we, 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 we're, we're very keen on the idea of, of identifying key talent and then finding a way of keeping them in the company permanently. Um, that, that, that 20 shows, would you like to increase that, or do you feel like 20 is a good number and you just, you know, you just, you just fine-tune it and hone, hone Is that, that a serious question? question? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, this, of course we, 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 we want to increase it. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're always looking to expand. And the reason you're looking to expand is that because uh, I think that the way you actually attract... This is a, obviously it's a talent business. It's no shit, Sherlock. It's a talent business. But it is a talent business. And it turns out the way you get the best talent to work in your company is by offering them the biggest range of shows to work on. And so... Yeah, you know, expansion has it, 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 it has the rather positive effect of of sucking talent towards your company. Um, as you look to the second half of the year, um, are there any strategic objectives or, or goals that you have uh, in mind, or stated stated objectives that you are um, determined to? No, hit? listen, we have a. Uh, I say we're running along quite commercial lines. We have a, you know, we have a, a new five-year business plan that we started. It sounds a bit dry and prosaic, but. That 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 is um, our, our five-year business plan is based on a you know actually you know significant growth in our business um, and you know that that means you know doing more in all the premium unscripted genres but we've also uh, I know this is an unscripted conference but we've also established in the last eighteen months a factual drama department which seems like a logical extension of what we're doing. And uh, that's headed up by a woman called Lisa Gilchrist, an award-winning uh, factual drama producer. And we have a couple of things that, in that area, a couple of factual drama series that we would hope and indeed expect to announce before the end of the year. Plimsoll Productions, Grant Mansfield. That's all for this episode, but you can hear more discussion by tuning into our C21 FM internet radio station, where you'll find new interviews airing from Monday. The podcast will be back next week. In the meantime, stay safe and up to date with all the latest international TV industry news and views by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening.